Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. My name is Amit Min. Rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast platforms and on YouTube. Like and subscribe there as well. I feel like I, I got to stop saying that first portion because I keep on saying it at the beginning of every single podcast and even I'm getting bored of it. But anyways, Katie Heindel is here. How are you, Katie? I'm doing well. Um, And you got to take care of the business. Yeah, the biz. Right. Yeah. Get the get the likes, subscriptions and all that, all that fun stuff. What's uh, we were talking before the before we recorded and you haven't been home very much at all. I haven't been. I haven't been. It's been a busy summer mm-hmm. of book writing. Uh, it's going to continue to be a busy fall of that with some research trips I've got to take uh, for the book. So it's good. I mean, part of me likes to be home very much. So that part hasn't yeah. been fun, but the travel's been nice. And yeah, I uh I will miss, as I told you, I will miss Media Day, unfortunately, for the first wow. time in years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel that's that's more to just like it's like the first day of school vibe anyway. It is. Yeah. Right. And then after that, ever as everyone knows, they're gonna be heading to Burnaby, BC for training camp and then mm-hmm. Preseason, and all of a sudden the season is here. Tell people what the book is going to be about in case they weren't oh, yeah. aware. Sorry, I shouldn't just be so colloquial about it. Uh, I'm writing a book. <laughs> yeah, I'm writing a book. Um, it is, if you read the Basketball Feeling Substack, my newsletter, uh, you have a pretty good sense of what the book will be. But it's mm-hmm. part of a series called Undelivered Lectures, which is through the publisher Transit. Um, and in this series of which there's, I want to say, five and five or six titles already they're kind of um novella length essays on yeah. subjects of the author's choosing you know a lot of these have to, some of these are a little bit more serious have to do with um prison reform migration mine is about basketball <laughs> and uh-huh. the way that i um you know write about it i kind of splice that with personal stories uh as well as politics history you know, um, these kind of common themes that sort of run through basketball to me, or I think you can broaden, at least like I broaden my horizons in the way that I digest them. Uh Um, Personal stories of athletes too. I think the tricky thing has been not rooting it so much in in in-season events to not predate the book. So Mm. that's the, that's been uh, the most difficult thing for me thus far. Don't really know if I'm really selling it that well. It's okay. I'll have a better have a better idea of the elevator pitch once it's written, but I'm writing it. <laughs> hey, when it comes to words, you are second to none. Okay. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Again, my wording of that probably wasn't the best, but uh, <laughs> I'll take the way, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, on that uh, Substack, you wrote an article recently, and it had to do with uh, the recent incident between Kevin Porter Jr. and his uh, his girlfriend, Kaiser Gondrasek. And uh, if anyone isn't aware of what went down, so he, uh, on Monday, there was a 911 call from a New York hotel, and uh, Porter allegedly hit uh, his girlfriend multiple times, placed his hands around her neck, and um, when officers arrived, they found uh, his girlfriend with a cut on her face and there there's other parts to it too but you kind of get the the gist of what happened it was a this was a case of domestic violence and the nba has dealt with this a few times over the years and also in other leagues too and when these issues come up how us as humans how, how media members process the information and how they take it in and what their what their actions are haven't always been consistent, haven't always been right. And you can probably imagine if you're listening to this, like you can understand and think about past occasions, like some of the tweets that may come out or some of the social posts from um, from other media members, from other 
people, from fans of teams. Like when you, when a member of your team goes through an incident like this, like obviously they are usually not available for a long time. And then, you know, a fan would have a feeling about that. But usually the person that is most victimized by all this is the female and the person that is a that has to deal with this like this new tragedy in their lives so i thought it'd be great to to talk to katie about how myself all of us can can use this incident and and learn from it and understand how to be a better a better partner in a sense um, a better uh, companion when these issues come up and yeah be more responsible because mm-hmm. i've seen it too that not everyone leads with the right foot necessarily i thought you know, you'd probably be able to help me again like this is for for me too um to to understand how to be better so just off right off the bat um the statement that came out yesterday from mm-hmm. uh from kaiser's lawyer mm-hmm. uh, i found that there are some details in it that in the, this is how goes into how a media platform, how they use that statement and the important details of how you present the information. Um, but there were some conflicting, like, and we were going through it last night when we were messaging about this, because there were some things that even you and I, who've been in the business for a long time, there are things that we weren't quite understanding, even though it's just a statement, but mm-hmm. some publications, they, they, they use the statement in different ways and that can lead a person to take in the details in odd ways. So just on the statement yesterday, um, can you clarify for anyone who isn't aware what the statement actually meant? Mm -hmm. So I think what we're alluding to um, is the, has been the aggregation of the statement from Kaiser Gondrasek's lawyer um, and the way that other sites, whether those are news sites, uh, newspaper sites, like that statement was delivered to the New York Post uh, initially. My sense of it is it was either an email for the brevity of it or perhaps a quick phone call. Um, Mm. That statement obviously has been picked up by different, you know, basketball websites, media websites. It's gotten picked up and aggregated on Twitter. But with every aggregation, and this is just kind of like broken telephone, um, writers may take liberties in terms of the words that they use to almost like describe the statement or break the statement out and discuss it. I think in this situation, in situations like this, which we're going to talk about, it's really important to just take the statement at face value. Mm. Uh, and to me, my translation of the statement is there's nothing in there of her refuting. It's it's basically a statement for her and her camp to make a stamp on this event, to kind of stop speculation, which obviously picks up the minute things like this happen. That's just you know, NBA Twitter, uh, NBA social media, things just snowball out of control. Uh, So it's for her to come out ahead of it, to say something, to gain some of her autonomy back. Uh, Other than that, she's not really saying anything. She's saying perhaps that, or her lawyer, I will say, I'll say, stop saying she's saying, because this is also, that's an important thing to remember. I've seen a lot of it reflected as she's breaking her silence. She's speaking through her lawyer. So her lawyer has made this statement. Um, but it's that perhaps medical records were released without her consent. Um, perhaps there have been some kind of verbatim or descriptions of what happened in the incident uh, and then immediately following the incident in the hotel, either from eyewitnesses uh, or perhaps statements from eyewitnesses given to the police that were on site. Uh, and those obviously are not coming directly from Kaiser herself. Those are coming from witness accounts. So it's kind of to put a stop on that sort of speculation. Uh, otherwise, that's really it. It's I think it's to put a, again, like put a stamp, to put give it like a bit of a timestamp. The only thing yeah. that I read into it personally um, is this also gives her some breathing room, mm-hmm. probably to reflect upon what's happened, probably decide what it is she might want to do moving forward. Yeah. Um, it gives her some time. It it basically says to the the media, I acknowledge what happened and what you know, but I'm not ready to go any farther than that. Yeah. And I will say in as a litigious society as the United States prop is, uh, it also kind of 
gives her some space and removes her from any sort of defamation that may come down the road, which we've seen in terms yeah. of backlash uh, to cases like this, cases of either intimate partner violence or assaults, um, be that from celebrities, athletes, you know, just kind of regular people. That's me getting a little bit ahead of myself, but if yeah. you want me to be honest about the way that I, what I read into that statement, that's got to be one facet of it as well. Yeah. And the part of the statement, well, not actually the statement, the part that was making the rounds yesterday was hmm. a line and what you and I were discussing last night is like, we weren't sure where the line came from because there was a statement and then it seemed like there was some sort of follow-up with some publication. And it was the part where it says that, uh, furthermore, Gondra's ex-representative strongly refuted claims that her relationship with Porter was tumultuous and abusive. They insisted that such narratives were untrue. And there was a quote, in no way does that represent what their relationship has been. We have no idea where that came from. Yeah. Right. That and that's not attributed yeah. to any. No. And that's and that's part of the problem, too. And I think when that that was a quote that I kept on seeing on mm. on social and people were taking that in as, oh, so she's saying that nothing happened. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's not what they're saying. <laughs> that's not what they're saying at all. They're saying that. Um, and again, we we don't know where this comes from. So I guess I'll start here is that it's important to credit where that came from. Um, it's good that the statement, I guess, is largely untouched, but um, there's no context behind it. Mm -hmm. And the context behind the statement um, of this line of in no way does that represent the relationship, what the relationship has been, is really important, right? Every single detail of a case like this, and this is why you were saying like just it's important not to editorialize statements, mm -hmm. right? You put the statement black and white. And when I'd mentioned to you last night, like I, 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 I like when you just see an, an Apple notepad, here's a statement and that's it. And that's mm -hmm. what makes the round because there's no way to twist that, right? You can't twist the words. It's just there. But in, in this, in a case like this, it's easy to take that statement when we don't know where it came from exactly and use it in multiple ways. And then it just takes one publication to twist one word. And now the whole dialogue changes around what exactly happened that night. So mm -hmm. uh, just with, with that right there, my takeaway is from this is that we, one, should know where it came from. And also two, um, don't read too much into that line. It's not suggesting nothing happened that night. Mm -hmm. It's just, I mean, I'm not even gonna, I'm gonna leave it there because I don't wanna go mm -hmm. too far down the road either, but mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, I think you've nailed it um, in terms of editorializing. And I think like just personally, I will say the frustrating thing about seeing this kind of make the rounds, as you said, and this is just something I know, like from experience firsthand, either covering this, you know, now in the media or just firsthand personally as like a woman in this space uh, people, there are some people who will always look for kind of the, the the fastest and easiest way to discredit women when they're in this kind of situation, when allegations and accusations have been made. Uh, it doesn't take much. It can just be the barest thing. You mm -hmm. can see like an extremely lawyered up statement like that, you know, can be taken and then twisted. And, you know, then it's just like, well, she's no longer credible. Um, so I think that's a good thing to remember that in terms of women who we place in positions as victims, quote victims, um, yeah. which I don't think is an accurate way to portray Kaiser in the situation, but is something she will be portrayed as. Uh, you have to work very hard to get everything right, right? Like they need to portray themselves kind of perfect from the jump because, you know, God forbid they make a misstep because it will be used against them. When I will say mm. um, it's human nature, <laughs> anyone who's been in any kind of stressful situation or doesn't have to be as extreme as this, you might not always remember the timeline accurate from one day to the next, you know, things change. Yeah. Um, anybody can relate to that. So whenever I look at things like this and I get it, I get the the, we all have this kind of compelling need, whether it's just with like trade news, you know, or things like IPV, um, you, you want to share them as fast as possible. Like that is what we've made kind of the NBA media machine out to be. But with things like this, especially, it's really important to take a moment, like take a breath and just think about people as people for a second, you mm -hmm. know, and, and uh, allow a little bit of leniency there. And then maybe think about the thing that you're like going to share, going to post uh, <laughs> just yeah. a, a little bit harder because it is much more impactful 
than somebody's like contract negotiations. Yeah. Um, the human nature aspect of this is I, it's important that you you touch on that because I think when something like this comes up or any any natural disaster, a mass shooting, um, a domestic violence case, mm. I think over time it's human nature to be slightly desensitized by the incidents over time, and it's mm. not doesn't mean you don't care as much. It's just the the shock value isn't there. Mm -hmm. um, as much as it was for the first time. And so over time, I think, again, human nature is that in the first incident, you start thinking about the other person or the people or the country or the city. But then as time goes on, it becomes more about either A, you don't care as much, but also you start thinking about yourself, mm -hmm. how it impacts you. Again, mm -hmm. human nature, I'm guilty, everyone's guilty. But when these, when these things do happen, um, the blanket statements, the hollow statements that do come out um, from, it could be a, a media member, it could be from uh, anyone that is looking at this incident. I mean, just what are some of the things that someone should maybe sit back and think about before they act mm -hmm. when an IPV case happens or a domestic violence case happens within sports? Mm -hmm. Well, my impetus for writing what I did uh, on basketball feelings was because this made me remember a conversation I had with a friend who's a male media member. Um, he, he works for a really pretty large outlet, uh, is on shows and kind of in charge of certain shows, podcasts, I should say, uh, that run through that outlet. And this was when the Miles Bridges incident had just kind of hit the news. And I had asked him, you know, are you going to talk about this? are you personally going to talk about this or like, what's the way that you're going to approach this? And, you know, his, his, uh, his kind of demure was that they dealt more in analytics and it would be kind of like, this is my comparison, not his, but yeah. you know, that a, a weather person kind of delivering like the stock, the stock report. Um, and I, and I got his personally, he was absolutely like, against what had happened it, you know he thought it was terrible but he thought that was like a self-evident thing that he didn't necessarily need to say um mm. whereas i said no you have a platform you actually have multiple platforms you need to say something even if it's imperfect because the situation is was at that time changing yeah new details were coming in i wasn't like you don't need to you know kind of rehash every single detail there is thus far and mm. i think that's the main point is that one a lot of people are nervous to kind of put a wrong foot forward when we talk about this kind of stuff, um, they don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to get pinned on something wrong that they've said. And I, and to that, I'll say the easiest and best way to get over that is just lead with compassion and like empathy, you know, be a person, think about how you would talk about these things. If it was affecting, it shouldn't take this, but this is the easiest way to think of it was affecting somebody that, you know, and that you care about. What would you say to them? You know, you would just kind of, you would let them know you were there for them. We're obviously not, we don't want to let people, perfect strangers know we're there for them. But I think in the broader yeah. scheme of NBA media, certainly as NBA media members, it's important to come out and just say, I think this was wrong. Or like, I think this was a terrible thing that happened to yeah. say it. Because if you don't, especially on platforms like this one, like any podcast, you know, uh, anyone who has a platform whatsoever, you're kind of creating a vacuum of space where it's a bit of an island. There's a bit of a mm -hmm. safety and it's okay not to talk about these things. Or you're giving the impression that this kind of stuff, uh, you know, instances of intimate partner violence um, that really affect people's lives in a in an awful and intimate way aren't what's, quote, important to basketball. And yeah, they don't necessarily bear out on a game-to-game -game basis on the court, but they do. If you want to be involved in the larger ecosystem of the sport, which we all are, yeah, you have to cede space for this too. We have to report on everything. We have to talk about everything. Um, and I think that just it makes us more responsible. Like for us, it makes us more responsible media members. For fans, I think it makes you more responsible, compassionate um, consumers, and like people who are engaged with the sport, it's never the, a bad thing to be more responsible, especially, yeah. you know, with the way the world seems to be going, <laughs> you don't have to get into like the doom and gloom of it, but it's never a bad thing to try and introduce a little bit more empathy and compassion into the way that you observe mm -hmm. um, and kind of digest and sit with things. So when I say a blanket statement, I think, you know, you and I have both talked about this and experienced this, but we in basketball media have our own kind of version of like thoughts and prayers whenever there's like, and it's just like a very kind of like mm -hmm. um, 
oh, you know, this, I feel for both parties and we'll know more soon. It's, it's just like, yeah. it, it's, it's, there's a hesitation to put your own, your own stamp on it, to just say, I, to make an I statement, you know, to think, say like, I don't feel that this was right. Yeah. You know, that's not such a difficult thing to say, but I think there can be some hesitation behind it again, because I don't, I mean, I don't personally know. I've now ever felt that hesitation, which is again, yeah. why I wanted to write that because for other women in this space, who are now friends and colleagues of mine, they will be the first one to respond to these kinds of things all the time, whether it's writing about them, just talking about them, making mention of them. Whereas, you know, you kind of look around the room at your male colleagues and that can be crickets. So the piece then went into just the toll that that takes, because for me, it makes me want to step away from this work for a little while to kind of process and decompress because no, I don't know these people personally, but it does affect me in a personal way. Um, professionally, obviously that's not always possible. Yeah. So I think there has to be, there has to be like an, a, a bit of a joint responsibility. I, it doesn't really matter to me if this is not the things that you're the most interested in. These are still, these are things that involve the people whose careers you follow so avidly during the regular season, you know, these are their real lives. And again, I don't think it's such a bad thing to remind for, for people who want to engage with the NBA to remind themselves of that from time to time. You think sometimes people overthink it a little bit, like yes, the, the, the thoughts absolutely. of prayers uh, statement, right? The, the hollow statement. Um, I think people do that because they feel like it's safe. It's yeah. safe. And so you're showing that you're, 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 you're caring about the subject and you're caring about the people, but that part um it does become hollow and it does become uh, redundant in a way that you're essentially saying nothing. But, and also on the other side of it too, uh, they, they say that because they don't want to say the wrong thing, even yeah. though sometimes just speaking from the heart, like saying this is awful means more than thoughts and prayers in a way, but people don't always realize that because it is like, it's a, it's a, it's a serious issue. And this is sports too. Right. Mm -hmm. we, we get into sports because sports are fun. This isn't a fun subject. And so not everyone's comfortable talking about it um, because they don't want to be out of line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but exactly. But I think that that fear and then that the hesitation that it leads to, um, mm -hmm. that's what people get caught up on, you know, but like you could just say it's awful. I think this is awful. I think this is shitty. This should never happen. These are like really easy things to reach for yeah. just to say something. Just, and I think like, I'm not talking about fans. Like I think it's a wonderful when fans like show their support in that way. But I'm like, this is specifically for people who have platforms. And I think because from there, there there's a trickle down effect, right? We haven't mm -hmm. even gotten to the athletes. I don't know why we haven't necessarily seen, we've seen support. I will say like immediately we saw support from WNBA athletes, you know, Kaiser's yeah. former like colleagues in the W, mm -hmm. um, which again, it's not a surprise. Like WNBA athletes are time and time again, the ones that are the most outspoken when it counts uh, on matters yeah. of like social justice. Why we haven't seen it in the NBA, I'm not sure. It is a small fraternity. That doesn't mean mm -hmm. that you can't just, again, say personally from the heart, like this isn't acceptable. Um, there isn't money on the line. Like there, it, it, there's nothing that really is going to kind of blow back and, and, and come down on you. I'm sure there's people worried about, you know, if they have like brand partnerships, like are people going to stop buying their shoes? I don't know. Like, are we really there anymore? At some point we have to assume we ha like have moved past that. Like fans, I think for the most part, certainly have, um, so I think athletes should too. But again, I do feel like it's a little bit of a fearful thing. It's like not wanting to say the wrong thing. It also is, it takes a lot to be the first person to say something. Um, I think yeah. that person would be completely welcomed, you know, and would be really celebrated. And like, that's the thing it would be, it would take such a small show of support to be celebrated, which is in itself frustrating mm -hmm. that we're here. Uh, but I would, I would love to see it. I mean, I know there are, athletes who speak about it in private or like are asked about it in smaller scrums where they, you know, this happened, I think with the Raptors and Terrence Davis, yeah, uh, where somebody like Fred Van Vliet kind of says, not in so many words, but it's like, it's clear he doesn't agree with what happened. Those things can be so refreshing. And honestly, if you're someone who covers the league can feel like to, and have to me like such a lifeline 
and such a feeling of like, okay, I belong here. This is still like a worthwhile place to be. Yeah. Before we get back to that, just a few of the details that have emerged from the NBA side of things. So uh, Adam Silver did have, he was asked about this the other day and he said um, that, you know, usually with, with this, that they can't discipline or they can't mm -hmm. do too much until an investigation is done by the police and that's when they're able to act. And he said that being in the off season, this is where it helps more because if it's in season, they have to do something. But if it's off season, like we can sort of take our time. Not that they're making light of it. It's like, but they don't have to do immediate action. But if you're in season, then something has to be done because there's the mm -hmm. next, there's a game on Monday. Right. And then on the rocket side, <clears throat> uh, Shams has reported that they're looking for uh, a team to trade with when it comes to Kevin Porter, Porter Jr. And I, I think what they're looking for is, they're willing to, you know, attach some draft picks for it. And Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. They're hoping to get some sort of role player in return. Um, but whatever team would be taking him on, the expectation would be that he would be waived by the team. Mm -hmm. So it's not that they're bringing him back because they or they're, they're trading for him because they want him to be part of their roster. It's essentially like, we'll give you some draft picks to essentially just get rid of Kevin Porter Jr. So they get something in return for, for him. Now, that's kind of just the business aspect that's the sort of what it is is it great no but this has happened a few times in the nba uh myers leonard if you recall uh the same kind of thing happened with the miami heat when 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 his incident happened with the with the racial slur so that's what the rockets are trying to do they're trying to get something in return for him but i don't think uh he's going to be playing in the nba next season i don't think in his career could be in jeopardy too but also while i say that miles bridges could be back in the nba uh really really soon so um, and also mentioned Terrence Davis. There have been other players uh, that are still playing in the NBA or have returned to the NBA after uh, cases like this. But when anything on that before we. I will just say since Adam Silver, former lawyer, <laughs> loves yeah. like, you know, that's a safe statement to make. I would actually push back on that because I would love to see the league take um, <laughs> speedy like action on something like this at some point. They have yet yeah. to, right? Like they really drag their feet. Yeah. Um, they say their hands are tied. I understand, you know, the, the players union is involved. Teams are involved. There are investigations. Mm -hmm. I'm still quite unclear on what those investigations actually are. I think they change from instance to instance. I don't really think yeah. the NBA has like been very um, forthcoming with those details. Mm -hmm. So a part of me kind of wishes it was the regular season. So they would have to make a speedy decision. I think to me, that's a little bit like stalling. It's good that he acknowledged it. Sure. But, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the rocket side, you mentioned it's business. Uh, I still think it's gross. You could just, it is. you could just wave him. It's a small, it's also, if you want to talk about the business aspect of it, it's not a big yeah. contract. Yeah. Um, on the player side, you you mm -hmm. mentioned that, and uh, I think for a player, and you're right, no one has openly discussed this or outrightly said that domestic violence is wrong, at least on a public platform. Um, and what's different about you know what was happening in the bubble is that I mean, players were being asked about it. I don't know mm -hmm. if players are being asked about it, so they can't even get the chance to a speak about it or b say no comment or whatever the case is. I, you know, the NBA players, it is a fraternity. 
Um, there's a lot of respect amongst players for the journey and getting there. And that's why uh, there's, a, I mean, probably more so than years prior is that um, there's players supporting players, there's players working out together. And so being that person that does speak about it, I wonder mm -hmm. if that's a factor, like it's going back to, it's assumed that we don't support it. It's like, but if you are the person that is coming out and saying that this is wrong or you're talking about a particular player that did something you're saying it's wrong it's like now you're kind of putting yourself on an island even mm -hmm. though many players again they agree with you and they wouldn't perform those actions themselves it's like but uh you're kind of outing a member of the fraternity i, mm -hmm. I, I wonder if that's a factor yeah i think there probably has to be fear of ostracization like with any other person mm -hmm. like you know i think that you know, these athletes aren't necessarily shielded from that just because of who they are and the positions they're in. Um, it's still, as you said, like it's a, it's a really small group of, of people. Um, yeah. I personally think you wouldn't be ostracized for it. I'm sure there'd be some people who would be like, it's not cool. But I also wonder like which generation that would be now, you know, um, because we are also seeing a shift in the NBA itself uh, where I think talking about things like this and just like kind of talking in general isn't such a big deal anymore. Um, mm -hmm. yes, these guys are trained up on how to talk to the media since like high school in some cases. Uh, but they're also pretty savvy with social media. You know, they understand how that world works. So they, they're not immune to seeing what happens when like someone comes out and does the right thing and they can be celebrated for it. Yeah. So I don't know, again, like I'm not holding my breath, but it would be, it would be a very welcome show of support. Is there anything else you would like to mention? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't think so. I think the one thing to, the biggest takeaway from all of this is just be a person about it. You know, if you're ever in doubt, just take a minute to think about it. Like you're in no rush to respond. If you want to respond, be a person about it. All right, so heading into this Toronto Raptors season, um, I think we've all seen the pro projections, 36.5 wins, um, and largely a lot of that is to do with betters um, not knowing what the Raptors' direction is. And we've been wondering that for a long, long time. Where are they going? Where, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to win next season? And I would think so. But also, is Pascal Siakam, will he be traded? And we saw the news uh, the other day that um, Atlanta was not willing to give up Kobe Bufkin, and that was a part of the reason why maybe a deal didn't happen with the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, just on that aspect, I think some have mentioned that if you were so keen on Kobe Bufkin, why don't you just draft him? It's like, well, uh, I can appreciate them bringing in Grady Dick because I think sometimes it can't always be about, you know, best player available. Sometimes you have to find a fit. Sometimes mm -hmm. you have to find a piece and movement shooters are really hard to find. Uh, they don't grow on trees and the benefits of having a movement shooter um, they're almost like a, they're offense on, the, on themselves because of the threat that they pose. And then also you add in uh, Grady's complementary skills or secondary skills, uh, the IQ, uh, the passing ability, the rebounding, his motor, his attitude. I can understand why they decided to go with Grady Dick, considering also the fact that they just aren't a good shooting team. Um, but anything on, on that aspect, like I think people, yeah, the... Unfortunately, I mean, Kobe Bufkin and Grady Dick, I guess, would be great, but also you're losing Pascal Siakam, and also that would inform your direction because Kobe Bufkin comes in, he's a point guard, he's going he's gonna to need minutes, he's going to need touches, and you're not in a position to to have a Pascal Siakam along with a Kobe Bufkin all looking for touches and minutes when, frankly, they have a lot of people already who are looking for touches and minutes currently. Mm. Um, I will say, like, on the idea of not drafting him, you have to take a look at what the team looked like at that. Yeah. point it didn't look like it did now so i can understand completely why they didn't go for him mm -hmm. um you covered everything that grady brings to the team and i think that's that was like the most immediate concern and need yeah. so that's why they drafted grady dick um i'm very unclear on like some of the trade it's interesting to, that some of like the trade packages for pascal siakam are coming out now uh at least like what details can be shared because it's, i'm very unclear on what they've been asking for for Pascal this summer. Um, I'm also very curious to see what that relationship is like once Pascal Siakam returns from his summer, like completely abroad, I want to say. Like he's been away <laughs> yeah. more often than not and good for him, but like that man is vacationing. So 
came back for a Rico run and then he was off off again. And then he went to Rome. Yeah. He he's just in Paris. Like this yeah. guy is like he's taking some time, which I respect. And yeah. I, but I feel like that's what you do when you're like, eh, my work situation's not all that clear. Sure. And it's strange that for a player of his of his abilities, um, it's such a major piece. So mm-hmm. you would think that you'd have to be a bit more decisive on the direction. Um, like are either are you trading him or are you not? Um, because if you are trading him, then I, I feel like you don't want to start the season with him on your roster. And if you want to keep him because you feel like, I mean, we we know his credentials, how how talented mm-hmm. he is. He's entering the prime of his career. And I feel like he's the type of player that's gonna have a longer prime than than most because of his work ethic mm-hmm. and uh, how the NBA is trending, right? Um, and his skills. And what set. we've seen from him thus far too, right? The way yeah. that he's developed his own career, like it has taken some time, but these plateaus keep they keep coming. Yeah, and so if you want that, then just re-sign them. Like it's really yes. strange, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's like the Pascal, I mean, contract yeah. <laughs> trade aspect. But um, for things to go the way the Raptors may want it to go, for them to be in the top six, a few things have to go their way. Um, so we're just going to get into some of those. Real quick, and I think the first thing is that Darko is who they they're thinking he is. Um, you know, the contrast between him and Nick Nurse, like it's pretty stark. Um, but I think Darko, I think the term would that would make sense for what he brings is structured freedom. So there's gonna be principles that he's gonna tell players that these are the the guardrails, so to speak, that you work in. He's like, but within that, you have a ton of room. And I think about you know how players operate now versus you know years prior and we've heard so many former players talk about this that you know players are caught a little bit too much uh they aren't willing to work they have a short attention span i heard andre miller talk about that um and he's a coach right now too it's like what if darko caters to that a little bit more what if mm-hmm. there's more creativity in the practices there's more creativity on the court and what if you know a a, a style of basketball that is more conducive to player buy-in actually is a recipe for success. And I could mm-hmm. see that being the case for the Raptors. I mean, I mentioned to Amon the other day is that despite the how tumultuous the season was last year, they were four games out of the top six. And there are a lot of teams in that top six currently that have, they're a little bit in limbo. So if things go the Raptors way, along with some of these details that we're going to discuss, like there's a lot of reason to believe that they could be in that top six, but of course things have to go their way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would still say the Raptors are not outside if they haven't escaped limbo yet, yep. <laughs> but yep. uh, I do like that approach from Darko. I think the rigid- rigidity of Nick Nurse didn't always serve him or the team, mm. uh, especially with the way that I assume Darko probably wants to develop um, and redevelop or pick up where the team kind of dropped off in some cases. Yep. I think of a pressure like a player rather like Precious Achua. And of course, I think of like, you know, Scotty Barnes, Grady Dick, and like these newer, uh, younger guys on the team playing with that kind of freedom with guardrails, very important caveat that you added, uh, is going to serve them really well, because that's the style that they're used to playing. That's probably what they anticipate playing. It is also Mm -hmm. the position that the Raptors have put themselves in with how their roster is currently formed. They kind of have to play in that way. So. I guess fingers crossed that it worked. I'm still very curious to see like what the starting, the first starting lineup that he's going to roll out actually looks like yeah. and how they play. Yeah. Um, what's interesting, the similarities between what we might see from the Raptors is that last season with uh, Nick Nurse, um, the style was essentially, it was, it was very ISO heavy, but it was depending on the matchup and that would be how they were going to attack a team. But mm-hmm. with, the style that I think, and we're going to get to this in a second, but the style that I think Darko is going to be looking for is that it could also feature, we're going to get you in whatever way we can, but it's going to be through the offense in the moment. And he's going to be relying on players to make smart decisions on the fly. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's going to be through cutting. That's going to be through uh, discipline spacing. It's going to be through, you know, decisive action. And that's how they're going to get their advantages. So I think there's going to be more ball movement, more player movement and, more of a, a solution-oriented offense on the fly as opposed to mm-hmm. going into a game which this is our solution. And there's going to be a lot of uh, practices where he's going to have to drill players into that. But also, mm-hmm. I, th- I think, and this was I mean, not to take away from Nick Nurse, but because Nick was like this too, is that he's going to listen to players and he's going to see what are you seeing on the court? Where are the advantages? Where is our pressure point? And then there's going to be a good relationship from that point. And I, I think Nick Nurse had that too, but the a different style is probably needed for where the Raptors want to go now. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the listening aspect is probably the most important. I think yeah. um, some Nick listened to. There was like a hierarchy, right? There were tiers of like perhaps sure. who Nick would listen to or give his ear to more, and who didn't necessarily yeah. get that FaceTime. Yeah. Another thing I'm excited about, and if this does go the way that we're hoping, um, it could mean great things for the Toronto Raptors, is uh, the question has been, you know, who's going to run pick and roll with the Toronto Raptors? Um, who's going to be their point guard? Dennis Schroeder, uh, Scotty Barnes. We kind of know the limitations of both those guys is that, mm-hmm. I mean, as far as we know, they're they're not great pull-up three-point shooters, so it does present, you know, spacing problems, but I think we're going to see more of a dribble handoff based system, which is you think about the Sacramento Kings, you think about the Golden State Warriors. It's a great way to get players moving and to create angles for for scoring opportunities and uh, and execution on the fly. And what's good for the Raptors is that they have two guys in Yaka Pirtle and Scotty Barnes who are terrific in terms of playmaking, in terms of play finishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you you tap into those two as passers, some great, some really special things could happen for the Raptors offensively. And also I think Darko himself, empty side, side clearing, kind of focusing the offensive offense more on one side of the court and then working off of that. And also having your, your secondary masking actions. I think we're going to see so much more of that this season and it's going to keep players more engaged, but in the end, using Scotty Barnes and Jakobertel as playmakers is going to have probably pretty positive results, I think, for, mm-hmm. for for the team and also for those players. Yeah. No, I think Toronto has everything in their DNA now, as is to be a kind of speedy team mm-hmm. to like really exploit a dribble pass off kind of system. I also think, because this is not to take away from, I think, the leadership that I saw and was like very happily surprised by uh, Dennis Schroeder at the at FIBA World Cup, you know, because that's something that I wondered, just like you've lost mm-hmm. a huge leader and Fred Van Vliet, um, someone who really had his fingerprints all over the DNA of the team. How are yeah. you going to restructure that? It was nice to see Schroeder um, step into a role like that. Granted, these are people he knows a little bit more intimately and well, but um, I'd like to see him step into that similarly. And I think it also gives him some leeway if they go with this system. It gives him some leeway to learn the ropes a little bit more. So then they could yeah. probably you know, ask him for a bit more of like, they can probably run some more sophisticated plays after the fact, like once yeah. he kind of gets his feet under him. Um, but he's going to be learning from Scotty, you know, in a system like that. Uh, it's going to be mm-hmm. really like give and take. I don't know. I, I like it. I have confidence that they can execute. And I think movement, um, you know, movement always begets a little bit more of like offensive yeah. energy and that leads into defensive energy. And I think that's where this team can actually create some good shooting opportunities for itself. And they need mm-hmm. a lot of that. Yeah. And this, this is kind of a quick one, but it's kind of obvious that if Scotty Barnes takes a leap, then obviously mm. things are a lot better for the Toronto Raptors. He averaged 15, seven and five last season, which was similar to his numbers in his rookie year. Shooting percentages went down by 4% or so. Um, he's going to have the ball more. I think we know that already, especially in this system that we're, we think we're going to see from the, from the Raptors. So, but with his skill set, because it is so versatile and he's able to do so many things, like what does a leap look like? I think it's more efficiency. Um, I think it's it's better playmaking. Um, it's a, it's a quality assist to turnover ratio. Um, it's attention to details on defense. I like the idea of him being a roaming defender. I think you engage him more. Nick use him a lot as a point of attack defender. I don't think that's his skill set, but I do mm-hmm. like the idea of of Scotty. This is an example. Like if you put him on the weakest player so to speak, right? So the, the player that you're willing to give up a corner three to, him being able to roam, that does have legs. And that mm-hmm. does how you, you're able to tap into his special uh, defending and his versatility. And like, I think of the game against Chicago, not the, the, the play-in game, but the other one where he led a fourth quarter comeback and he was guarding DeMar DeRozan. He was guarding Nikola Vucevic. He was guarding mm-hmm. the perimeter. He was uh, offering like weak side help. Um, that is the best version of Scotty Barnes. And probably a lot of his development and a leap starts on the defensive end. Um but then going to a Dennis Schroeder, you know, he said that his Germany role is going to be what he thinks is going to be similar to his Toronto role. And that makes you think that, okay, so he's going to be managing the games. Um, he's hopefully going to be a paint touch king, <laughs> but him being a uh, a capable backup point guard, starting point guard, and just rekindling what he used to be in Atlanta to a degree mm-hmm. and what he was in OKC, because I think that's going to be on the table for him from everything we've heard from 
Dennis is that he's excited. And this is like his quote is that he's excited to have more ball handling responsibilities. Mm-hmm. To me, that means that obviously he's going to have the ball in his hands more, but also he's going to be able to make decisions. And uh, yeah, if he kind of finds that groove again, things go pretty good for the Raptors. I think the only thing I'll add, because you nailed it on Scotty, was just like, as you were going through everything you want to see from him and what you think a leap looks like, to me, the underlying thing in all of those is confidence, which mm-hmm. is where we saw him kind of fall away, shrink uh, in moments, in especially like in his decision-making yeah. last season. So I think that's that's like what I'm looking for. To me, that's what a leap look like looks like because everything is going to come from that. Is he confident with the ball? Is he confident? As a, you know, I I do like the idea of him being like a, you know, a roaming defender, putting him on maybe one of the weaker players, but does he have the confidence to then like pivot and move around to roam? So when we actually see him begin to execute those things, which I think a coach like Darko will be able to really instill in him because it's like a fresh relationship, fresh start. um, I think Darko can really bring out the best in him. So long as Scotty is ready to kind of, you know, buy in uh, and to also see what the absence of somebody like Fred kind of directing him. He doesn't have that anymore, but can he sure. kind of step up and out of that? And um, how's he going to play with Schroeder? You know, I, the confidence to me, that's like what I'm going to be looking for. Yeah. And then just a little bit more on, on Dennis here is that uh, his point of attack defense, obviously it's one of the, his hallmarks, one of the, his best attributes. And um, the Raptors struggled with that last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know what kind of defensive system we're going to see from Darko mm-hmm. this upcoming season, but you can probably bet that that's going to be utilized. Um, and I just like that he's able to play off ball, play on ball. He's a very experienced point guard. He is a natural leader and he's mentioned that too. And also at the same time that if you're in a crunch and there's six seconds left on the, on the clock, He's going to touch the paint. And if there's no one under the basket, um, which, I mean, rules are different in the NBA. You can't just sit down there, although Rudy <laughs> Gobert would say otherwise. Um, he's going to beat people. In three mm-hmm. seconds, he can be at the rim and getting a mm-hmm. layup. So that kind of speed um, is exciting. And uh, if his jump shot does, uh, you know, continue as it uh, looked pretty good in, in, with Germany, um, that would be terrific. Um, one of the other ones, this is also another obvious one, Pascal Siakam's three-point shot. So yeah. a couple of the stats... 33% on threes last season, 34% on catch and shoot threes, 27% on pull up threes. From the left corner, he shot 45%. Right corner, 23%. Above the break, 32%. We've been saying this for a long, long time that uh, the key to unlocking himself as a scorer and also unlocking the Raptors and their versatility offensively is probably him gaining more skills, even though he's already so good. Um, and uh, if that happens, you know, the Raptors are able to do so much more. It would be nice, huh? A reliable. I don't know. I feel like uh, we are mm-hmm. talking about it just because it's like we taught we every year. This is like, yeah. this is the thing that we want. This is the prescriptive thing. We're like, oh, what could make Pascal Siakam better? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this very exact thing. Yeah. Um, maybe the difference of it in this year will be how uh, the team is structured. You know, mm. um, new point guards, new kind of way of playing. That I think the pass off model will again, yeah. like create more scoring opportunities for Pascal. Um, he's pretty good at creating a sh- his like own shot. Yeah. Um, but I do think this model will kind of lend into that as well. So yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed that this is the, this is the season. <laughs> this is the year. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do think his, uh, his attempts are going to go down a little bit just because of the system that they're going to be having. It's going to yeah. be a little bit of uh, whoever is getting in the moment, as I mentioned earlier. Um, it's hysterical that Dylan Brooks was mentioning that the, the machine in Toronto, as he called it, the no, <laughs> machine. Yeah, the machine. Well, I had to him. look it up. I was like, it's yeah. not really a machine. <laughs> He's saying it helped him with his three-point <laughs> shot. And the Raptors are sitting here with three-point shooting issues. Uh, I would love to see the numbers on Pascal's uh, three-point shot. He does kind of a stroke that I I, I feel like, similar to DeMar DeRozan, doesn't always cater to a great three-point uh, efficiency. Um, but, I mean, remains to be seen. We'll see what happens. The last thing. Before we get out of here, I think the Raptors actually have depth. I mentioned it to Iman uh, the other day that I I saw a clip of Thad Young going into last season uh, of him saying, we have so much depth. Um, But I think now they actually have (laughs) positional depth as opposed to, you know, just a a range of six, nine players Mm -hmm. that can, you know, do similar skills. I think Jalen McDaniels, I think he fits like a glove. I think he's going to be very successful in a system like this. I think the Raptors brought him in because he has been successful 
and dribble handoff kind of systems. His cutting is awesome. He's going to deliver some ferocious dunks, and he's got uh, defensive versatility as well. And whether it's Gary Trent Jr. or Dennis Schroeder coming off the bench, you're strengthening your bench, right? Mm -hmm. There's like actual Mm -hmm. depth that's going to be there for this upcoming season. And some of the variables, like do we see some consistency from Precious Achua, which I think we will, um, is Otto Porter Jr. healthy? Uh, is Christian Coloco ready for a backup center role, which I think, again, I think he he is because he was ready for it last season, but he mm-hmm. just was a bit of a liability um, under the basket. He couldn't finish and teams were exposing that. But I think you put all these things together and I think there's reason to believe that they will actually have depth and Pascal Siakam will not play 39 minutes a game next season. <laughs> I think the depth thing, like a lot will be kind of trial by fire, you know, like we, the Raptors no longer have the luxury, not that I actually think they had it last season, but they thought they did, um, of kind of holding players out and being like, oh, well, you're not really ready. You kind of need everybody. You kind of need every single person on this working roster, especially if you were talking about depth, like you need a working bench. Uh, you don't want as, as like fluid and maybe in flux as the starters might be to start the season. The that bench was something that came back to haunt them time and time again as the season wore on last year. Yeah. So the depth thing is going to be best like attained by giving everybody the minutes that you need to get them up to that point, right? Yeah. So everybody's going to be thrown in the mix. And I I mean I like that kind of basketball chaos. Mm-hmm. I like like seeing what it yields because some yeah. you can't like you can't know until you know right like, mm-hmm. you can't know until you're gonna give someone like Christian Gloco meaningful minutes to figure it out. Um, yeah, and I have a feeling Darko is that kind of coach. Yeah, and you can be creative with your your minute distribution, your substitutions. Like I, mm-hmm. I like you know Dennis being on the court with Christian, right? Just yes. to give him an outlet, and so he has that experience with them. And these are ways that you get more out of Christian. But uh, we'll see how things go. That was kind of a a quick glimpse into how things can go much better for the Toronto Raptors this upcoming season. But I mean, it's around the corner that we will have more preview content on the way. Anything to say, Katie, before we wrap up? Uh, nothing really. I just want to thank you for, you know, giving the platform and the space and time to talk today about what we did and how we started. I think it's important. Thank you for enlightening. All right, everyone. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you in a little bit. Bye-bye. 